Greetings and salutations today. Glad you're here today. I love history. Um, I don't want to ever have what they say. Most historians, if you read a history book, especially like, especially like church history, they'll say that uh, people who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And uh, that is certainly, we've seen that throughout history. <laughs> but my best, my best, um, I like, the, I don't know, I don't know. What's your best period of history? What do you like the most? Well, I do like World War II history. And uh, my favorite guy during World, for World War II history is none other than Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill uh, years before, so they for them, war started in 1939, and they went through just absolute torture with alone, just totally alone as a country against the Nazi regime, just absolutely horrid. And never Neville Chamberlain appeased them, uh, Adolf Hitler, uh, and Adolf Hitler lied like crazy, and the appeasing was just disastrous. 55 million people, 55 million people died uh, in Europe, just in Europe, just in Europe, Europe uh, deaths uh, because of one man, Adolf Hitler. 55 million and uh, I just think to myself, and it was Winston Churchill who said, listen, we're going to have to fight him. And Neville Chamberlain, who was the prime minister at the time, said, no, no. And you know, you've seen that where he waves that famous piece of paper. I've got it here. And Herr Hitler is not going to invade and all that. And what did he do? He just invaded. He invaded everybody. Uh, thinking, well, they're all German, you know. And Winston Churchill was the lone voice. He was the only guy in England at that time that said, we are going to have to fight him. We cannot trust Adolf Hitler. We need to take care of him now. And that was a year before they went to war. Um, maybe two years. He was calling for it for a while. And uh, they, they didn't listen to him. They didn't listen to him. And when the Nazi, Nazis invaded Poland... England had a pact with Poland. This is after they inv invaded Austria, Sudetenland, uh, Czechoslovakia. They invaded all those countries. When they invaded Poland, Poland, England said, we can't do this anymore. We're going to war. And then, you know, it was horrid. Just absolute horrible, horrible stuff. Even the United States didn't back them at that time. Then they did the Lend-Lease thing. But it was just I, I look at I look at him, and then during that 1940, they had this thing called the Battle of Britain. Battle of Britain was when the Luftwaffe, which was the dominant air force for the Germans, uh, they were bombing and attacking fighters and everything. They were doing everything they could to to pound Britain into submission. And it's classically called the Battle of Britain. And uh, after the Battle of Britain, which, which was miraculous, actually, just had to be miraculous, 
uh, in which Britain defeated the Luftwaffe. Less planes, less, uh, less armaments, all that kind of stuff, and they still beat the Germans, and they were the mighty Luftwaffe, you know? And uh, so he said, he said this after, after that. He said, never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. Just amazing. And there's so much we could talk about, and then we're not doing a eulogy on Winston Churchill today. But I look at, I look at this. I mean, he's the, he was a tough guy, and that battle lasted 114 days just in the air, right over the, right over the channel. Uh, you had Canadians and you had Americans, but the United States was not involved in the war at that time. Uh, was not in that. So you had you had this situation in which these, you know, it was really, really a tough thing and the warfare that was there. And the United States had a had a posture of neutrality. You can't be neutral. You just cannot be neutral. Can't be neutral in warfare. Uh, we saw what the Lord Jesus had to say about, you know, if you go to war, uh, if you're going to war with somebody and it's, I think it's two to one, three to one ratio, uh, you send emissaries of peace type of thing, or you go to war. And what was the st- what moral of that? The moral of that you go to war all the way or you don't. There's no middle ground. And uh, that is that is so true. That is so true of us today. I think of what Bill had to share two weeks ago. I think it was with the slides on postmodernism. You know, I, I think when you shared on that that kind of stuff that depicts the warfare that we have going on in in our in our Christian lives. Actually, in our Christian lives, it's. It's really, it's really terrible what's taking place today. It really is taking place. It's a horrible, horrible warfare. Whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you subscribe to that or not, it doesn't matter. You are in a war. You are. You might not. You go, ah, I don't know if I feel pretty good. I don't feel warrioring type of thing. I don't feel that way. Oh, no, it's it's still there. And it's war. It's war in your mind. It's a war even physically uh, that takes place, the warfare that takes place. It's happening now for the Christian. And I'd like us to look at a passage of Scripture. So the title of our little discussion is Being a Warrior for Christ being a warrior for Christ. And the passage I'd like us to look at is found in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he is talking about many things. He talks about many, 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 many things. But as he's closing out this epistle to the church at Ephesus, He is telling them, in chapter 6, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Honor your father and your mother, mother, uh, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, etc. 
And then he goes in chapter 6, verse 10. He says, finally, my brethren, finally, my brethren, he's coming to a conclusion to this epistle. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You got this. That's, that's excellent. I mean, that is really excellent. And the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the cunning fraud of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, against powers, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, with your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Actually, it's the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may boldly that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds that this that in this I may speak boldly as I ought to speak wow wow there's a lot here there's a lot here but I'm looking at this I look at this and I see a, a real key word here, a key word throughout these uh, from 10 to 20, and that is imperatives. Imperatives. Uh, when something is imperative, means you got to do it. You must do this. It's a future endo endowment. In other words, when you are, in, you know, Julio, it's imperative for you to, etc. right? That's a future situation that you must attend to. This is why he, I think he's using, you know, I came, you know, look at the word imperatives, because this is what we have to do from this moment on. From this moment on, we have to do this. This is not something that is, you know, oh, well, you know, optional. This is really nice. I really, oh, that was, you know, wow. That, no, 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 no. Forget that. It is imperative that we do this. And what are these imperatives? We look at this, um, we look at this in verse 10, it is imperative for us to tap the power that God gives for warfare. We must do it. We cannot war a warfare without the strength and power and wisdom and the word of God. You can't do it. You cannot do it. And then in verse 11 and 13, it is imperative for us to understand the purpose of the armor that we have. That he, we're, we're, We've looked at this armor. It's imperative for us to look at the armor in verses one through, or 11 through 13. And then also in verse 12, it's imperative for us to know 
the principal contender, the principal contender in warfare. And then we need to utilize, in verses 14 through 17, it is imperative for us to utilize the pieces of armor that he gives us for warfare. And then lastly, in verses 18 through 20, it's imperative for us to pray during warfare. So that's why Paul writes to the Thessalonians, says, pray without ceasing, because we're in this warfare all the time. We're in it all the time. There's no relaxation on this, except when we see Jesus face to face. That's the only time when we see him face to face. And so we look at this, it is imperative for us to tap the power. Look at verse 10, the power in warfare. And so he summons us in the first half of this verse, verse 10, to he summons us to have power. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So the summons here is to do this. He's not, this is not something that, you know, you know, let's let's just talk about having a, how to have a really nice Christian life and really, you know, free of pain, free of whatever. No, 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 he's not talking about that. What he is talking about is he's talking about the power only you you can wage this warfare. It's not it's not at the voting box, it's not at my political philosophy, it's not any of that. It is spiritual. I love what when Paul writes to the to the Corinthians and he says, "But the for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ." So the warfare is not, it's not a carnal warfare. It's not. What it is, is it's a spiritual warfare that only we can wage and be successful in winning by the power of God. So he summons us to this. He tells us this. He says, I want you to understand it's only by the strength and power of God. So finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And then the source of that power is the Lord himself. See, I, I love that song. You ever hear that song? I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Did you ever hear that song? Well, you just did. So you have to say, uh, yes, I heard that song. Okay. And so, I, but the, the fact is that we do serve a risen Savior. Our focus is not on men. In fact, we see that in 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 1, where the Corinthians were focusing on Apollos. They were focusing on Cephas. They were, he said, not even me. Don't even focus on me. The Lord Jesus Christ is our only focus. The Lord Jesus Christ is our only focus. I mean, Paul is saying, don't, don't worship. Remember the time when he preached? They all bowed down and started worshiping him. And he's, no, no, no. I've had friends of mine who were missionaries 
A guy did the three-rope trick. Remember we did the three-rope trick at the right? I had a friend of mine do that in Africa, and he knew the language of a of a an indigenous tribal area that never saw a white guy ever. And he knew their language like they spoke it. I don't know how he did it, but he went in on a boat and he stood on the boat. The whole village came out and he did the three rope trick. And they all bowed down and started worshiping him. They all bowed down and started worshiping. He goes, no, 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 no. Here's how you do the three rope trick. Simple, simple little light of hand type of stuff. And then they go, oh, well, we made a mistake worshiping you, you lousy magician you. They didn't say that, but that's probably what they were thinking. And then what he did was he told them about Jesus Christ. Just talked to them, the whole village, told them about the Lord Jesus Christ, and the whole village trusted in Jesus. The issue is that we are to focus our life and our thinking on the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. He's the only one. There is no other. There's no other person that we are to do this to. And, you know, just like the Bereans, just like the Bereans, when Paul went to Berea after he preached in Thessalonica, he preached there and then he went to Berea and they said, oh yeah, oh yeah, you said this about Jesus Messiah? You said this about him? Uh, Where does it say that in the Old Testament? And they checked Paul out via the Scriptures. What does the Bible say? And you know what Paul's comment was? How dare you talk to me about that? No, that wasn't it at all. He was saying they're more noble. They're more noble than those in Thessalonica. And so you have here, this is is our only hope. The Lord Jesus is our only hope, and it's according to the Word of God, period. End of story. There is nothing else. There is nothing else. And so it doesn't matter who says what in what book. You know, we always, if a guy writes a book, he must be right. Right? Or if he has a podcast. (laughs) Or if he has a website. Must be right. Can't be wrong. Because he would never put something on it. Right? (laughs) Man, they do it all the time. They lie like crazy. They lie like crazy. You always check what I'm saying, what anybody says, with the Word of God, and it's always centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. End of story. He's God in the flesh. He is God in the flesh, and He died on the cross for us. Shed His blood to wash away our sins. And then three days later, rose again from the dead physically. No one in human history has ever done that. Except Jesus. That's fantastic. I'm following him. I mean, that's historically verifiable. I mean, that's just not. I mean, Flavius Josephus said this back in the day. Back in the day, he was almost a contemporary. And uh, he was a histor- Jewish historian working for Pilni, the Roman emperor at the time. And he, he wrote that Jesus of Nazareth lived, died, and rose again physically from the dead. That's what he said. Antiquities, volume 18, book 
uh, volume 18, chapter three. And so you can, you can check it yourself. I mean, this, Edward Gibbons, one of the greatest historians, writes the same thing. Just amazing to me. The evidence that we have that Jesus Christ is the only way. The only way. Now, people don't have to believe it. I mean, it's their choice, right? Right. But it doesn't make it less true because somebody doesn't believe it. And so this is the thing that he's saying, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So a question. I have a question for you. Are you tapping that power? Are you tapping the power that he gives us? Or are you uh, looking at your own wisdom and trying to think it through? God gave us a brain. We have to use it. <laughs> well, yeah. God gave us a brain to trust him and to trust his word. So it's imperative. Not only is it imperative for us to tap the power, but it's imperative for us to understand the purpose of the warfare. Look at verses 11 and 13. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles. That's what the King James says. That's the cunning fraud of the devil. The devil, he is called, he got a lot of names, you know, and uh, he does. One of them is liar, scandalous. Also, this is where we get the word scandalous. He's a scandalizer. He is a liar. Uh, he is a destroyer, uh, etc. This is this is him, the wiles, the cunning fraud. Um, I'm getting older. I admit it, I'm getting older, and I'm not getting geezerly yet, though. I'm not. I feel like I am sometimes, but I'm not. And then, you know what they're warning us? The elderly. Bob, you know this. I mean, you got gray hair. I shaved mine away, bro. I don't know why you're laughing, Julio. You got gray in your beard, bro. I mean, it gets, you know, and we're, we're getting gray. We're getting, we're getting, we're getting older. Beware of the con man, right? <laughs> Beware of the con man. Oh, I can get $50,000 if I can just send 500 back to them. Give them my credit card number and everything, and they'll just put it right into my bank account. Oh, that's called fraud. And you can't believe how many people. We even had a student that had that happen. He lost two grand. He lost $2,000 because of that very thing. And he wasn't even a geezerly. He wasn't even a geezer. And that is amazing. I mean, he, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, you got to be careful. You just got to be careful. And uh, this, is, this is so important for us to understand. Don't try to figure out who it was. Okay, I, I can see him. Was it him? Was it that person? He said him. That's a pronoun for... Okay, so... Okay, okay. Talk about it later, okay? Man, oh man. You hot dog. Okay. All right. So we, we look at this and we say to ourselves that the cunning fraud of the devil, the devil is going... He's not going to come up and go... Ah, ah, ah the devil, horde, clothes, and foot. No, he's not going to do that. He's going to come in 
very sly. In fact, it's so sly. If you'll just put your finger there in Ephesians 6 and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Cor 11, listen to the description. 2 Cor 11, listen to this description here. And he said this in verse 2 Cor 11. Actually, I'll read verses 3 and 4, and then we're going to skip down to about verse 13. He says, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his craftiness. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For he that cometh and preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you have received another spirit whom you have not received, or another gospel, which you have not accepted, you might well bear with him. In other words, it's not saying, oh, oh, that's okay. No, he's warning that there are other Jesuses, there are other gospels people are preaching. Other Jesuses. You look at the Jesus of Jehovah's Witness, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. Who's Jesus to them? He's the spirit. Br- Excuse me, I'm getting that. He is Michael the Archangel. He's Michael the Archangel. Mormons, he's the spirit brother of Lucifer. Christian science, he is a principle. He's not a person. But the Scriptures don't indicate that. The Scriptures indicate to us that he is God in the flesh. He lived in time and space. And history verifies that truth verifies that truth. And, you know, I, I'm an old open-air preacher, and uh, I've actually said to people, I double-dog dare. In fact, I, I stopped the double-dog dare. I go with the, I triple-dog dare you to disprove it. Disprove the historicity of Jesus. There's a new book that's out by a guy who is an investigative reporter. Uh, and it's not that Stobel guy. It's another guy. And it's not Stobel. It's uh, another. I have the book at home. It's called. It's he's a he is a, a detective for cold cases, and he takes all of the information on the cold case of Jesus and who he is. He looks at all that information, and he came to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that he died on the cross and rose again physically from the dead, just looking at the evidence. And he wrote a book on that. And um, I look at this and I say to myself, this is so, this is right there for everybody to see. Are you serial that you're not going to believe this stuff? And people, because you know what it is? It's not, it's not, it is not that the evidence isn't there. It is I don't want it. That's the real issue. I don't want it. I mean, I've talked to lots of people and apologetics and bringing in apologetics and showing them all the apologetic and have a guy. One time I talked to a guy for two and a half hours and then finally dawned on me as we're preaching in New York City on the streets in Times Square. I'll never forget this. It was a learning experience. Two and a half hours of we figured about about 20,000 people passing our board an hour. So about 50,000 people have passed our board in the time I talked to this guy, right? 
And then he's going, well, what about this and what about that? And I'm going, let me give you my expert opinion on this and I'll give you that. And I'm in all this kind of stuff, right? It dawned on me. I said, it doesn't matter, does it? It really doesn't matter to you what I say about it. He goes, no, it doesn't matter. I just wanted to see what you'd say. This is, this is, it's a satanic attack to keep me from talking to other people who are sincere. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the name of the game. You can pile up all the evidence you want for some people. You can have Jesus standing right there. In fact, that's exactly what he did. He stood right there and they still didn't believe him. This is post-resurrection and they still didn't believe him. Thomas, right? You know, Jesus said, behold my hands, right? Behold, put your finger in my hand, put your hand in my side, and be not faithless but believing. Well, Thomas didn't, he finally got it. He didn't go, oh, well, okay. I'll put my finger in the hand and my hand in your side, and I'll believe it. He didn't do that. He just knelt down and said, my Lord and my God. That was doubting Thomas. People need to do this. The evidence is right there. The evidence is so so there. And so we are commanded. Notice what he says. Oh, and I didn't get down to notice. Notice verse 13 of 2 Cor 11. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. We need to be on guard. We need to know the word. And so we can discern what people are saying to us. Is this correct? Is this right? And it doesn't matter who's saying it if it doesn't square with the book. Okay, you're looking at an ex-Roman Catholic. I was lied to like crazy. Roman Catholicism is cultural as well as doctrinal. And for me, it was cultural. I had no idea what they really believed. And I remember as I trusted Christ as an 18-year-old guy, I trusted Christ as my personal Savior. I realized that they had lied to me. My mother got saved in their 50s, and she was a Roman Catholic grade school principal. And when she found out that they lied to her, she was a Roman Catholic grade school principal at a Catholic grade school perish in Southern California. And when she found out that they lied to her, she got so angry. She was so angry. It was unbelievable because she was lied to. You have to go with what the book says. I love what somebody once said. This is so powerful to me. The Bible is the Supreme Court from which there is no appeal. It's the final authority in faith and practice. Period. End of story. Rightly divided. Rightly divided. That's why he tells us, study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. 
This is what we must do. So, and then he tells us, he tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and, and uh, 13, he tells us, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the cunning fraud of the devil. Verse 13, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. When I was first saved, the guy led me to Christ, Dave Weibel. Great guy. Still in contact with Dave. But when Dave trusted Christ, he did it as a junior in high school. I didn't know until he told me about Jesus Christ. He was a Methodist. Uh, two years later, when we were both freshmen in college and uh, playing basketball and all this kind of stuff. And, and Dave told me that Jesus loved me. And I, oh, what's wrong with this guy? You know, he's a Methodist. He's going to hell, man. I mean, that's exactly what I thought as a Catholic, you know. I mean, the Protestants are in deep, deep trouble, you know. And so when he told me that Jesus loved me, I said, how can you possibly tell me that? How can you tell me that, you know? So I went over his house and he told me. And I, I realized that I couldn't save myself. It wasn't by works of my own righteousness. I trusted in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And you know how it is when somebody leads you to Christ, you're indebted to them. You're like, oh man, this guy had enough guts to tell me about Jesus Christ. You know, this is fantastic. I love Dave. He was a good friend. And we played high school, junior high and high school basketball together. And now we're in college, freshman year, and now, you know, he leads me to Christ. I mean, how could you get any better of a friend than that, right? Well, Dave got involved with a group called Witnessly in the local church, and, and uh, they are heretical. They had so many, on so many counts, but it was so slippery. It was like nail, nailing, if you can imagine this, taking a piece of jello, even if it's three months old. <clears throat> and try to nail it to the wall. It's not going to work, right? Red flags are going off. Bing! I've shared this with you before. Red flag. I didn't know all there was to know about what was wrong. Flags are going off. So I, I started to investigate it. Did not believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. Did not believe in the church. Did not believe. I mean, this is I mean, going on and on, but he is... They lied to him, and he bought it hook, line, and sinker and forbidding to marry. And he was asking me not to marry my wife. Don't marry Barb, because we are about to be married. We are engaged to be married. No, no, join our group. Don't marry Barb. I'm going, what? Something's wrong here. So he did an investigation and found out a whole host of error whole host of error. And so you have to really, you look at this and you say to yourself, man, we have to, you know, we we know we put on the whole armor of God that we're able to stand against the cunning fraud of the devil. Verse 13, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. And so we know this purpose of our armor. And not only that, it's imperative, not only to tap the power and to understand the purpose, but also uh, for us to know the principal contender. Know the principal contender of this. 
Who is the, who is the principal contender? Notice verse 12. Notice verse 12. He says this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual, spiritual wickedness in high places. My dear friends, it's not Republicans, Democrat issue. It's sin and it's warfare. And it's over. If we were to look at Daniel, we would know that the demonic hosts are over countries, over regions of countries. And we're looking at that. That's what we're fighting against. And you know what it's, you know, the bottom line of it is? It's for the souls of men and women and boys and girls that he would distract in such a way that we would get our focus off of the Lord Jesus Christ and off of the real issue and on to superfluous issues that might even be good, but they're off the beam. What Paul is telling us is, is revolutionary, really. Don't be distracted. Keep your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and on His Word. What's the real issue? What's the real issues here? Souls. People trusting Christ or not trusting Christ. Not doing it or doing it. I was sharing with Mike McDuffie. I was on the phone. He's in Germany and I was on the FaceTime because it's free. <laughs> it's really amazing. And I'm in for free, you know. I'm into free, and we were talking about, I was sharing with him about the time I was preaching in, in the Bronx. And as I'm preaching, I'm six, five and a half, and I'm on a van, side of a van with a platform. So I am about this high off the sidewalk. And in the backdrop, we have that sketchboard. You know that sketchboard that we have, right? I had the special hooked sketchboard. You hook it onto it, and the canopy would come out in the back backdrop, and I would preach. I share this with you. I have? Okay. Did I share it with you? Did you know this one? Anyway, this guy, he comes up to me and he goes, Share where you're from. This guy's sweating profusely and he's looking me eyeball to eyeball. I'm about, at that time, I'm about 6'10, 6'11 off the sidewalk, right? And he's looking me straight into the eyes. And he is a big guy, and he's sweating profusely. And I'm going, this is not good. This is not good. And I said, well, you know, and I know New Yorkers hate New Jersey people. You know, if you go into New York, you know, and you're from New Jersey, they look down on you. They just do. They don't, they don't tell you right off the bat, but they do. And uh, I said, well, I'm from New Jersey. He goes, no! Nah! <laughs> he's screaming at me. Big crowd. He goes, no, tell them where you're from. I said, well, I'm from Plainfield, New Jersey. He said, no, tell them where you're from. I'm from 25 Sanford Avenue, Plainfield, New Jersey. I gave my address. Dumb move. He said, no. Nah. And he walked away, and I was so thankful. I was going, oh, he didn't punch me out. I'm not with Jesus at the moment. Uh, and this is great. This is great. This is great. I mean, being with Jesus is great, but I, you know, I was happy. He came back. He came back. He goes, tell him where you're from. 
I said, I, I got a little upset. I said, I told you where I'm from. He says, no, you're from the moral majority. Now, if you know anything about recent, recent history, moral majority was started by Jerry Falwell. He had a whole, you know, the Mormons were part of it and the Catholics were a part of it and all these kind of group, the moral majority. You know, you could be a card-carrying moral majority person. You could do that. I never joined. You know why? I didn't want to be able, I didn't want to have to say that I was. I didn't want politics to get involved with people's souls. Because we had homosexuals, we had gay, lesbian Lesbians hugging themselves and, you know, hugging each other right in the middle of our meeting. We had so many of that kind of, I didn't want anything to pollute from the issue that they needed Jesus as their Savior. No affiliations to that realm. Although I was sympathetic to what they were trying to do in terms of the culture. The issue is Jesus Christ. That's the real issue. And this is what, what he's telling us. He's telling us the cunning fraud, the wiles of the devil, and uh, the rulers and spiritual darkness and, and wicked, wickedness in high places. He's our principal contender. We might look at the world and say, oh, it's awful. It's going to, going to uh, hell. Some people would invoke that hell or purgatory in a handbasket. Not because of the political issue. The issue is Jesus Christ. I don't want him. We don't want him. We don't want the, the morality that he brings when I do take him. We don't want any of that stuff. No way. That's the real issue. And then we look at this, the pieces of the armor. And we've got, we've got in verses 14 through 17a, Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having the breastplate of righteousness. I'm right with God. That gives me real ability to stand for the truth. If I'm not right with God, I am not going to stand for the truth. If I don't feel that I'm right with God. I know I'm going to heaven, but I'm talking, this is talking about my righteousness Every day, in the sense that I am continually right with God. People who are in a backslidden condition, and that can happen millisecondly, will not talk about Jesus if they are not right with God. They're not going to talk about him, generally speaking. Generally speaking, they might have your exceptions, but generally you're not going to open your mouth about it. Because of that. And so what happens is you look at this and you say you've got the breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, take the shield of faith. The shield of faith. What is that shield? That shield was, I mean, Paul was looking at a Roman soldier and a shield. A shield was, it was about this big. When they went to war, it was about this big and covered with leather. Put out the fiery darts of the wicked. And this is and then he says, taking the sword of the spirit, the only offensive peace, which is the word of God. Which is the word of God. That is so you would think 
I have a friend of mine, Force Recon, United States Marine Corps. They they took apart that M16. They took apart, it's different now, different, but they took apart that weapon so fast it was unbelievable and put it together again. Why? Because if they're in a in a situation where it jams, they have to take it apart blindfolded. It's at night and they're in a firefight. Your whole life is on the line. You take apart that weapon, put it back together, clear the breach, put the wet, put the rounds back in, and save your life, right? This is what he's taking, the sword of the Spirit. This is, the, this is our only weapon. We better know it better than the Marine Corps knows their weapon. In and out and get it down. And there's no excuse not to do that. No excuse not to do that. I think of Friday Night Lights. I think of what we're trying to do here at, on, on Sundays and Wednesdays. And uh, I think, you know, we're trying to teach the Word of God that we would be aware of what's taking place in the world as well as growing and knowing. Knowing and growing in the Lord. And so this is, this is really, plus you get spaghetti, free spaghetti on Friday Night Lights. And uh, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, come on, how can you beat this? You know, free spaghetti. This is amazing. Is it the angel hair or just regular? Oh, regular. Okay. Yeah. You could. Yeah. You just put in a request and, and they can boil up some angel hair for you. That's for sure. And so you, and then, then he tells us not only to know the pieces of our armor for our warfare and, I'm going to leave that, you know, for your own self-study in terms of this. This is powerful. But then he tells to pray. He says, prayer in the Spirit. I got to tell you something. When we take talk, I'm, you know, former charismatic Pentecostal, former spoken tongues, prophesied, all that stuff, did it all. That's not praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is praying according to the Word of God. The Spirit of God is never, ever, ever going to teach you or have you pray about something contrary to His Word. Never, ever, 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 never, ever. Sounds pretty cool in there. Never, ever, ever, never, never, ever. Never, ever. Going to ever go contrary to that. Ever. And then praying for the saints. Praying for each other. We are in a war. You don't know what's going on in our lives, and I don't know what's going. You don't know what's going on in my life, and you don't know it. I don't know what's going, really going on in your life, but God does, and I'm going to pray to Him that He answers whatever you have need of. Whatever you have need of, the Lord knows how to answer, and knows how to do it. So we pray, and this is what He is doing: watching thereunto with perse all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me. He, he begs them, really, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly, that I make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. This is, this is something of grave, grave, grave importance. Hey, listen, we opened up with uh, uh, you know, the idea of warfare. Listen, World War II is nothing compared to this warfare. 
Vietnam, nothing compared to this warfare. Because it's for the souls of men and women, boys and girls. It's for their souls. And we have to do diligence. That's why Peter tells us to watch out for the devil. Because as a roaring lion, he goes around seeking whom he may devour. We must be true to the book and true to the theme of this book. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ and his redemption of mankind. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and love and ask you, Lord, that you would just really help us. Help us, O oh God, to be faithful to you and to your word. Help us to war a good warfare. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.